price and a promise. Welcome to Biblical Tapestry, Season 6, Episode 29, A Study in the Book of Jeremiah. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. Today's passage includes a painful price required for Jeremiah as God's prophet. In Jeremiah 16, God tells Jeremiah not to get married or have a family because the coming judgment will be incredibly harsh. God is keeping Jeremiah from something he wants and protecting him from pain he does not want. Now, I know several people follow this podcast weekly, and it feels good to be back at it after a short vacation time. And because of the length of this passage, we will follow it as we go. So if you would turn to Jeremiah chapter 16. The word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who fathered them in this land. They shall die of deadly diseases. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword and by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. So what is the price for being God's prophet in these times? Well, Jeremiah is asked not to marry or have a family. Now, we know that God has ordained marriage, and sons and daughters are a blessing. We also know at this time that children were essential to keep inherited land in the family and to preserve the family name from extinction. And the Talmud pronounced a curse on a young man that was not married by the time they were 20. So why would God tell Jeremiah not to marry when the institution was so well established and blessed by God. Well, the best explanation is this was to be a symbolic act. Jeremiah and his lifestyle would be a reminder to the people of the judgment that is coming. This was not a normal occasion. The result of the coming invasion of the Babylonians would bring about deadly diseases. Bodies will lie in the open, as no one will be able to bury or mourn them. Jeremiah's family, had he had one, would be an added weight to the messages that God gave him. It was necessary for Jeremiah to abandon his plans and desires to serve God's purposes. Jeremiah served as God's mouthpiece and is focused on that message and could not be distracted by the survival of his family in some gruesome times that are coming. Now Christ gives us something similar when it comes to following him. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Verse 5. For thus says the Lord, Do not enter the house of mourning, 
or go to lament or grieve for them, for I have taken away my peace from this people, my steadfast love and mercy, declares the Lord. Both great and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried, and no one shall lament for them, or cut himself, or make himself bald for them. No one shall break bread for the mourner to comfort him for the dead, nor shall anyone give him the cup of consolation to drink for his father or his mother. Well, it gets even worse for Jeremiah. He cannot participate in the normal customs of mourning. He will not be allowed to even to enter a house where the funeral meal was taking place. Well, that's naturally going to further isolate and alienate Jeremiah from his people. And possibly the people would interpret this as Jeremiah being uncaring. But that is far from what Jeremiah feels for his people. By not participating in mourning for people, this again would be a symbolic act to demonstrate that God was withdrawing his comfort from Jerusalem. When destruction comes, there will be so much death that there will be no one to mourn or bury the dead, a horrible scenario for any Israelite. Even pagan mourning practices, including cutting themselves and shaving heads, are mentioned in this verse, both describing the depravity of Judah and the horrific conditions that were approaching. No one will feed the bereaved or bring a cup of consolation, which could be offered as a drink or just acts of kindness to the bereaved that won't be there. Verse 8. Here's some more. You shall not go into the house of feasting to sit with them, to eat and drink. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will silence in this place before your eyes and in your days the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. Jeremiah was prohibited from both attending morning services and celebration. This again would further alienate Jeremiah from the people. But this was all necessary to enhance and not water down the message of condemnation and judgment that Jeremiah was giving them. Plus, the coming disaster would make celebrations of any kind absurd, especially as Jeremiah knows what's coming. Normal life for Jerusalem was coming to an end without mirth and gladness, marriage and celebration. God was resetting his people from centuries of idol worship. Jerusalem will lay fallow for 70 years. Verse 10. And when you tell this people all these words and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept the law, my law, and because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn, evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. So what are the national natural questions that will come from the people being informed about the disaster that is about to befall them? Well, why? What have we done? What possible sin could we have done to deserve this? Well, in many respects, that's pretty incredible. And it's pretty arrogant that they would even ask. Well, they should have known. But this demonstrates how blind they were to the sins they practiced against God and how they were constantly told and then ignored 
the fate of the northern kingdom that was taken to captivity over a hundred years earlier. How would God answer those questions in verse 11 and 12? Well, they're not being judged for their ancestors' sins alone, but verse 12 tells us that they have done worse than the sins of the past. They have behaved more wickedly than previous generations. They only wanted to follow the stubbornness of their own evil hearts and for years and certainly during the ministry of Jeremiah, refused to listen to God. Therefore, God tells them he's about to throw them out of the land of promise. In Leviticus, before they actually inhabited the promised land the first time, Leviticus 18.26, But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who are before you did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Well, that is exactly as about to happen. They will reap the reward of their wickedness in the land that, throughout Scripture, Babylon is labeled as pure wickedness. From Genesis to Revelation, Babylon is labeled as symbolic of all wickedness. So God was sending them where they deserved. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Well, now we have an abrupt change in tone in these verses. After these harsh verses on the coming judgment, now God speaks words of assurance. There is coming a regathering of God's people that is essentially a second exodus, now from the north, being again a reference for Babylon. Now Babylon is always spoken as being from the north, even though it is east of Jerusalem, because all the attacks that come will come from the north. And the reason for that is that no army is going to move through the Arabian desert. It's impossible to carry enough water and resources for such a large invasion force. And when Israel returns, it will be from the same direction. The clear withdrawal of blessing, love, and pity in the previous verse was only temporary until a new generation returns with willing hearts to honor God. We read in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and now remember Persia had conquered Babylon essentially in one day, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Here we go. It's the fulfillment of what Jeremiah is speaking about here. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor, in whatever place he sojourns, be assisted by the men of of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Verse 16. 
Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them. From every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks, for my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols, and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. So escaping the coming judgment was impossible. To make the point, it was going to be like fishermen gathering all of Judah in their nets or hunters stalking prey. The enemy will hunt them down. They'll capture or kill everyone who has tried to escape. And as a further reminder, they cannot hide from God, nor can anyone hide from God. Restoration was coming, yes, but the judgment will be carried out by Nebuchadnezzar, who is about to serve God's purposes. Justification is given once again in verse 18. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sins because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. God is ensuring that unconfessed iniquity and sin that has polluted the land with idols will be punished. Land that belongs to God, land that will be idle for 70 years, but God will bring them back when many surrounding nations will cease to exist after the Babylonian invasion, but the nations of the world will come to acknowledge God. Verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. So the chapter closes here with Jeremiah expressing in a psalm perhaps his confidence in the strength and stronghold of God as well as refuge in times of distress. This passage offers some rather forceful contrast here. The Lord is Jeremiah's source of strength, security, and protection, and the idols are false gods, worthless idols that can offer no help at all. And Jeremiah sees a time when the nations will come from the ends of the earth and acknowledge God as a true God. Zechariah 14.16 Then everyone who survives all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. Time was coming when Christ will rule from Jerusalem and nations will stream to Jerusalem. Revelation 20 verse 1 says, Then I saw an angel come down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until a thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little while. So Christ's millennial kingdom is coming. Verse 21, Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once, I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. All the punishment and judgment was for the purpose of bringing God's people back to himself. They will know the power and might of the Lord and worship and honor his name. What had been forgotten will be made right. Stephen Smith writes, When we today replace God's prominence, we will doubt God's dominance. 
If we doubt the centrality of our worship, our affections, our emotions, our love, and our devotion, then ultimately we must question whether he is strong enough to be Lord. The Lord, Yahweh, cannot be displaced. He will not be marginalized, sidelined, shelved, demoted, excluded, downgraded, or dismissed. He can't be, because his name is the Lord. Nothing is so big it can eclipse him. Nothing is so powerful that can threaten him. People who think otherwise are lying to themselves. God is showing his people that he is God. In our next episode 30, we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 17, where Jeremiah continues to discuss the sins of Judah. I hope you are learning many things from God's word through this study. May God bless you this day.